Welcome to another edition of the show, 713, broadcasting from the great city of Houston, Texas. As you can tell with today's intro music, we are amped for this weekend's Super Bowl. We've got two Houston sports enthusiasts to share their insights on not only who's going to win the big game this weekend, but also to talk about the drama and heartache that is Houston franchise sports. So sit back, put your arm on the chair, pop a cold one if you have it, and let's kick off this fun Super Bowl episode. Before we get started, we just want to remind everybody, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, go ahead and please subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcast at the show 713. And that also goes for the same on our socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook at the show 713. So we thought with the Super Bowl coming up, it'd be perfect timing to uh, get a nice Super Bowl slash sports specific podcast and uh, we thought that it would be great to have Wes on. Hello. And of course Shannon, which you guys have met in other podcasts. How's it going, Shannon? Good. Uh, howdy uh howdy interwebs. <laughs> All right. And uh so yeah, so I guess we'll kick it off uh since we are broadcasting from the great city of Houston, Texas, before we get to the Super Bowl. Let's uh, let's start with some uh, Houston's own sports topics, and I guess we'll start with the Texans since uh, a lot seems to be happening there. <laughs> I think a headline a headline for this city right now is a dumpster fire when it comes to Houston sports. Yes, it is. Uh, we are not in a good spot. I know JJ was uh, saying that a lot of things need to change, and then he would love to stay here, but probably not. And then Deshaun was saying that he hopes J.J. doesn't leave because he wants to help J.J. get his first Super Bowl ring. Well, that was uh, millenniums ago, two weeks. Now it, it looks like Deshaun's like, it, yeah. <laughs> Deshaun's like, you know what, maybe J.J.'s right. Maybe Houston uh, is not the place for me going forward. So I guess he's being shopped. You guys got details on that, what he's looking for, who's, uh, who's looking at him? They're both gone. Both those guys are gone. Uh, in theory or formally? I mean, it's just a process that's taking place. Those those guys have both played their last snaps for, for the Texans. Okay. It's just a foregone conclusion at this point. You know, Cal McNair managed to screw this up so bad that he's just nuking this team, and we are going to be – I mean, it's just embarrassing how badly this whole situation has been managed with Casario and Easterby and – Good Lord, we're going to be an expansion team. The Houston Texans will be an expansion team for the next decade. Oof. We're just going to do 6-10 and 10 every year for the next decade. That's pretty harsh. Expansion teams, like that's as low as it gets, isn't it? Well, we just hired our new head coach, has never been a head coach before. He's been an assistant somewhere. But he was, he's, he's, he hasn't even been an offensive coordinator. He was, the, he was a quarterbacks and receivers coach for the Baltimore Ravens who had the worst passing in the NFL, period. And now he's our new head coach. How does that happen? I mean, does he know somebody? Yeah. Wes, I don't know what your take is on this, but I mean, I, I, it's, it's word on the street is that, it, I mean, we could have had Eric Bieniemy. I mean, his team's going to the Super Bowl two straight years in a row. We could have had that guy. 
the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Ooh. And we I said not, not Yeah. And we said not good enough. Seriously. Not good enough. We want this guy. Did they extend him an offer? Or he must have declined. Why would they go with this person? No, they didn't even extend he interviewed, but they didn't extend him an offer. So in my so from my perspective, just from what I know, the the enemy has had a hard time getting a job everywhere. He's got a kind of a shady little uh, past. He's had some hiccups with the law previously. Uh, I don't know if that affects him as a coach. Obviously, he knows his X's and O's. But uh, I know that they did interview him, and I feel it might have just been a kind of like a, a, a symbol of for something for Deshaun because Deshaun was very high on him. Uh, Deshaun and, and Mahomes have a good relationship, and I think that uh, you know Mahomes has nothing but. Uh, respect for the enemy so i think deshaun wants to kind of emulate what mahomes is doing in kansas city i mean who wouldn't really and so i think he wants that kind of system and that kind of coach andy reed the head coach in kansas city also very high on the enemy as well as a coach uh but he's had a really hard time latching on uh the last few years i think he interviewed for the miami job that brian flores got a couple years ago and uh, i think he's interviewed around but doesn't seem to land the job uh and i think that there's something that we don't know i mean if he has personal problems or, or anything like that uh that's just what i've heard uh from the underbelly of social media and then um as far as uh the new coach yeah not not really a lot to know from what i understand uh john harbaugh who was never really a coordinator but he's a head coach in baltimore obviously he's had some success in the last few years he vouched for David Culley uh, a lot and said he deserves this job or a job in general. Um, but from what I understand, he's not really, uh, I don't know if he's really heavy on X's and O's from what I understand. He's more of a, a motivator, mentor, kind of that soft skills coach. So I think what's going to be interesting, he's also older. He's 65. He's taking his first job as a head coach. So there's a lot of questions. I mean, this, you know, we all know, and as Shannon kind of touched on, uh, Easterby and Cal McNair, they have no idea what they're doing. Um, they, they absolutely are completely lost. They, from what I understand, uh, you know, Easterby has a, as a, uh, rep around the league of just kind of, you're not a football guy. You don't know football. You didn't grow up coaching. He has no coaching experience. He's just kind of a, what they quote unquote, a character coach. Uh, he, he reads people, I guess. I have no idea. O'Brien brought him in. Yeah. Easterby Easter was a chaplain for the Patriots. That's how, that's how he got started in football. He was a chaplain. So the players liked going to him. He developed a reputation with the players and Bill liked him. I, you know, who knows? I mean, it, the decisions that this franchise makes are just absolutely head scratching in every way. But I think really, Wes, to, to piggyback on a couple of things you said, some of the issues with the enemy are in the past couple of years is one, he's been going to the Super Bowl. So while other teams are already hiring coaches, you know, he's not interviewing. He's sitting there prepping his team for a playoff run and then prepping for the Super Bowl. And then when when all that's over, if there are any positions left, yeah, he's available to interview. But I also think that I don't know about the character issues. I haven't heard that doesn't mean that's not the case, but I had heard from a, from an insider that this is part of the, it goes back to um, McNair senior, you know, passed away in 2019 and he wanted a character team high on character. 
And so apparently all these guys were pretty churchy together and that that's the kind of decision that went into it, that they want to have that kind of deal here. And, and Hey, character is great, but character doesn't win games. And so, I mean, you can look at the, the, the chiefs. I mean, Tyree Hill's not a super high character guy. I mean, he's not, he's not a moron, but it's not like he's put on a pedestal for his character. I mean, he wins, he's an outstanding athlete and he wins football games. And you can say the same about most every other athlete in professional football. You know, it's, if you're, if your number one goal is to build character, a character team, your number one goal is not winning. And that's, that's all that that says to me right there. And it's, it's just, it's just incredibly frustrating because Bill O'Brien blew up this team for four games and then he was fired and nothing to show for it. I mean, when you get rid of, when you get rid of your best player, with Hopkins going to Arizona, and I still don't know what the deal was with that. I mean, I you know, we got rid of Clowney. We got rid of Hopkins. We're going to lose Watson. We're going to lose Watt. I, I just I – have, I have a hard time understanding how many season ticket holders they helped to hold on to with these kind of moves. I mean, do you guys remember the Oilers? Bud Adams was the owner before he moved into Tennessee the last five years of that franchise. Right. They played in the Afterdome. We had Steve McNair. Right, we had a stud and a star quarterback. Couldn't couldn't sell half the seats in that stadium. The AstroTurf is coming apart. You can see the seams on the field, water stains on the AstroTurf. He wasn't putting any more money in this franchise. He just wanted out. And it's like that kind of care and dedication is being showed to this team. That kind of forethought. It's like, eh, maybe. I mean, what is Cal McNair now? I mean, the one thing Cal McNair is good at is spending daddy's money. Yeah, and, and I can kind of confirm that because I have a uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll just call it a source uh, who worked at the Houston Texans in, in a certain department, not really athletic department, but around the organization. And uh, they uh, said that within the organization that Cal at the time – and this was 2008, I want to say uh, – he had a nickname, and it was uh, – I don't know, and forgive me because I'm a uh, on the young side of millennials sometimes. Um, but uh, what's the movie with Burt Reynolds and Sally Field? I feel like it's a Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, Smokey and the Bandit, and there was like the sheriff, but his son was like they called him Junior or something like that. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> Buford T. Justice. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that was his nickname around yeah. the organization. Oh, yeah. Was so he is known to be um, not really. Uh, we'll put it at the high point of the IQ chart. We'll put it that way. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that movie, man, because I have this scene in my head. But it's that kind of buffoonery that seems to have taken hold of this franchise. And uh, yep. I, I don't know. I, I I was talking to a season ticket holder from day one. Tailgates every weekend, hardcore. And he's going, I, I don't, I don't know what we're doing. I, I don't even, he goes, I don't even really care about the Texans right now. I mean, I, I mean, why should I? So you were saying that Bud Adams almost seemed like he was maybe had one foot out the door. Are you pontificating that possibly the Houston Texans are on to looking at other cities? No, I would not. I would not say that, but it's that level of apathy uh, combined with a certain level of incompetence. I'm not suggesting that Bud Adams was incompetent. I'm just saying he was apathetic at the end. I mean, he just didn't care. He wanted out. So he wasn't going to do anything that would incentivize his continued presence in, in, in the city. 
I just think the Texans just don't care. They make money. Apathetic. We're doing okay. It's a business that's profitable. The only way to affect change is for the fans to stop going to the games. Stop buying merchandise. I mean, that's the only the only way you're going to get any of this to change is to hit them in the pocketbook. But Texans, Texans fans are loyal. So if the coach that's coming online is known for getting along with people and inspiring people, is that enough to get you know, new recruits whenever we do the draft or, uh, you know, are they going to be like, man, I don't know if I want to play with a first time coach. And at the, you said 65. Who wants to come to this team? No one. Name <laughs> somebody that said Texans like what I see. Sign me up. No one. It's not so much that, first of all, this goes beyond the coaches in the in the situation. The, like Shannon had mentioned, that Bill O'Brien just blew blew the team up. It, 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 we have no first or second round picks this year, or I believe the year after. Um, and so that's high quality talent that we're going to be missing out on. So, you know, I, I think what they're going for to speak to Bill O'Brien a little bit. You know, what character gets you and, you know, going for the character card is nine and seven, eight and eight. It, but in the South back then, it was you could win the division at nine and seven, eight and eight, and at least give yourself a chance in the playoffs. You can't do that anymore. Uh, you, you know, the Colts are very good, very, very good and very underrated. And uh, they could be trading for Matt Stafford now that Philip Rivers is retired, uh, which is what I've heard so far. Um, you know, Tennessee is at the class of the division now and, and, you know, Derek Henry's not getting any younger, but he's still in the prime of his career. Tannehill's really taking a step forward. So, and then Jacksonville, you know, they have always kind of been the cellar dweller of the division in a way, but, you know, they just hired urban Meyer and, and they're looking to turn the page and they're trying to make better decisions, but all these teams aren't, you know, in the, in the same boat as the Texans because they actually still have first round draft picks and can play for the future a little bit. We don't even have that. So I don't think most uh, interviewees wanted to come to Houston. I think that they wanted to maybe dip their toes in the water, but I think once they got in the office and they talked to Cal McNair and Jack Easterby, I don't think anybody really wanted it. And, and, and to be honest, I'm not even sure if Cully really wanted it uh, because in this presser, uh, I believe it was yesterday, he said, you know, they asked him, why did you want to come to Houston? And he didn't say anything specific. He didn't say like, oh, I love Deshaun Watson. I think there's a lot of talent on this team. He said that it's a privilege to be a head coach and uh, there's only 32 of these jobs and I, and it's a privilege to have one. So, I mean, if you can read between the lines, he kind of didn't really say there was much here in Houston, you know, he didn't say, well, we've got a great defense to build on. You know, he, he there was nothing specific in his answer. He might have done that inadvertently, but I, I think there's a little bit to, uh, you know, look at there. Yeah, it's almost like he's like, well, there weren't any other offers. So, yeah, yeah, right. that's a great that's a great point, because one of the things he did not say was, you know what? I really like the culture here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean. They're, they're, you can just add that to the list, you know, and 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 to to your point, Wes, it's not that it's not really the coach. I mean, who knows how good Bill O'Brien would have been in another system or how bad he would have been. The reality right. is it didn't work out here. But 
it hasn't worked out for any head coach in the history of this franchise. They've all been mediocre. And when every single coach that you bring into an organization is mediocre, it's the organization. It's, it's yep. their bosses. It's the people above them that are, that are the real mediocre ones. And yep. until, until that changes, I don't care who you bring in here. You know, I, I had heard that the enemy came in and he interviewed me and said, okay, here's what we got to do to win. This is my plan is to do A, B, and C. And they were like, yeah, no. They are the only constant in all this. Yeah. Here's how we win in the Chiefs, and here's how we're going to win here. Yeah, no. Yeah, it, it, and I'd heard similar things, that he had a very structured, specific plan, and that apparently wasn't good enough. For them and and something I've noticed as you know uh, I was a teenager when the Texans kind of came into um, you know existence and I sort of I've been around and I followed them since the beginning and I'm sure a lot of people can say that but what I've always kind of noticed was they don't really want to cement their own identity uh, and what I mean is is think about Gary Kubiak former head coach he brought that Bronco style it just seemed like we were Broncos South. You know, we brought a lot of former Bronco players and a lot of former Bronco coaches, ran a similar Broncos, uh, you know, offense when Kubiak was there. So we kind of seemed like the Broncos. It was successful, don't get me wrong, but it was kind of that. Then we changed pace, we changed pace a little bit, and then we tried to be New England of the South. We brought in Bill O'Brien. We brought in Jack Easterby. We brought in all these character stuff that New England does, and we wanted to try and replicate their success. I, I mean, I understand wanting to replicate success, but it doesn't seem like in the history of this franchise that we've ever truly wanted to forge our own path. Um, we've always kind of tried to emulate other successful franchises, and I'm not sure that, that that's the way to go. Totally agree. And again, I would think that's a culture thing. Yeah. No strong leadership at the top to give that identity, to help pave the road for that identity to take shape. I mean, we still feel like an expansion team to this day. We've never had an identity. You're absolutely right. And it, and it just starts from the top. Yeah, it is a good point. Yeah, I definitely concur with that. Um, but I do want to talk about some other stuff. But before we close out on the Houston Texans, do you guys want to take a swing at where Dijon and uh, JJ end up? Yeah, Wes, where do you think? I'll give you my thoughts. So for JJ, uh, I have a feeling he there's two two places I think he would want to go. Uh, I think it's Green Bay to be closer to home uh, or Pittsburgh because both of his brothers play there. Uh, so I think he would want to play with them. They're very close, and I know that they're a tight knit family. So I think that's one of the one or you know one of those spots for him. Uh, for Deshaun, you know, it's a little bit more tricky. I'm not sure if the GM Nick Casario actually wants to trade him. I, I think that that's kind of what everybody would assume. So I have two kind of theories. One will say that he does get traded. I'm going to guess the Jets. That That's the seemingly natural spot for him. They've had, uh, gosh, Sam Darnold for a couple of years, and he hasn't panned out. They're kind of doing a, you know, kind of a rebuild there, and I think he would be perfect um, over there for their new head coach. The other option, I believe, is that they don't trade him, and he sits out. And I think that it becomes a who blinks first situation. And I'm, I think I'm probably heavier in that camp than a lot of people, but I 
think that they're going to try. And I mean, they just gave him a huge extension and he still, I believe has five years left on that. And I, I just have a feeling that they're going to try and see who's going to blink first and they're just going to make him hold out. What do you think? So I'll, here's, here's my thing. I'll start with Watson. I think uh, what you said at the, at the last part is exactly right. He's, he's going to hold out. But the problem is the Texans are going to blink first because they can't do anything right. The reality is, is Deshaun Watson already has generational wealth. He can, he can afford to sit out. They're not going to bleed this guy dry. There's 26 other teams right now that would take their starting quarterback and put him on the bench for Deshaun Watson. True. If he goes to if he goes to the Jets, that's going to be the problem with that is he's going to be jumping out of the frying pan into the fryer. I mean that that organization is potentially the only one in the NFL w- worse than the Texans right now. Mm-hmm. They've got the draft capital though. I know, but it's just awful as an organization. I think he goes to Miami. Uh, with regard to JJ Watt, I don't think JJ is going to go to Green Bay, even though he grew up in Wisconsin and it's his dream team. Because I think that Rodgers has played his last snap for Green Bay. Rodgers is gone. I think Rodgers is going to San Francisco. The 49ers are the second, I don't know, the second or third oldest team, maybe the fourth oldest team in the NFL. So they got to win now. So they can't go with a young quarterback. They need an old veteran that they can get uh, that's affordable and that they can they can win. And whether or not that Rodgers is going to be that, who knows. I think J.J. Watt, I think it's really intriguing to go to Pittsburgh if he plays with two brothers. I don't know that that's ever happened before having three brothers on the same NFL team, and they all play different positions, right? So yep. I think he's going to go to Seattle, and I think he's going to get reunited with Clowney. That's my take. I can see that. Well, some say Chicago because that's where his wife is. Yeah, it's a good point. Time will tell. Yeah. Well, those are, uh, those are good insights. And I guess to stick with uh, football a little bit more, let's talk about uh, Brady and the Gronk combination showing themselves up into the Super Bowl and, of course, against uh, none other than Kansas City Chiefs, having these two uh, rock stars go at it uh, with Brady on a new team and the Buccaneers of all teams. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, guys? Well, uh, what I'll say is the more things change, the more they stay the same with Tom Brady. Um, A new new uniform, new city, same old result. I mean, it's hard to argue now at this point it's the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, just from a winning perspective. But what I'm really most intrigued here uh, about here is, um, you know, you have essentially the new guard of the NFL, the new, the next wave of legendary type players in Pat Mahomes, and the next big thing at quarterback. He's already the biggest thing, I would say. But, um, you know, the next generation of what could be the next Tom Brady facing off against the old guard and the old vet, the old greasy vet. Tom Brady. Uh, so that's what I like to see is his two quarterbacks, completely different skill sets. Um, you know, Brady doesn't have the arm he used to have and Mahomes has the, you know, generational arm. Uh, but Tom Brady just knows how to win. Doesn't seem to matter. The system doesn't seem to matter. The personnel, he just knows how to get it done. And Mahomes is electric. He's the most fun. I've watched a quarterback play in many years. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most about the the big game is uh, is that you know two world class quarterbacks, one old, one young, and let's see who comes out on top. Will the old timer show that you know years of experience does really 
you know, hold the advantage or does, you know, young athleticism and, you know, uh, swagger, we'll put it that way. Uh, does that reign supreme? That That's kind of the narrative I'm looking at going into the game. Shannon, what are your thoughts? I think that's a great take. Uh, I would expand on the Brady thing just by saying, you know, all of the uh, armchair quarterbacks talking about who's more important to the Patriots history of success. Is it Belichick or Brady? Well, Belichick is watching the playoffs from a sofa <laughs> and Brady's in the Super Bowl his first year on a new team. And it's really, it's really hard to understand exactly how good Brady is. He's in his 10th Super Bowl, his 10th Super Bowl. It's insane. And he's playing so well, he just looks ageless. You know, I mean, I, I know maybe he doesn't have the arm strength, but man, in the playoffs, I mean, he's just dismantled teams. And um, going into the Super Bowl, I, I think the big X factor is the Bucks defense. If they play like they've played so far in the playoffs, man, it's going to be hard to beat them. But Kansas City's offense is so electric and they have so many weapons. The Bucks have some good players, man, but God, I mean, KC is loaded, is loaded. And you can do man for man on offense. I mean, you go Gronk and Kelsey, right? You know, LeGarrette Blount and, and, and Tyreek Hill, they're not really comparable, but, 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 they, but they're their offensive weapons. And, you know, I think it's a great narrative. The old, the old gunslinger and the new gunslinger drawn down at each other at high noon, you know, because yeah. that's, I mean, that is the narrative of this game. I agree completely. I hope it's a good game. I want it to be a good game. Um, I just want them, if, if the NFL can do one thing, is just talk to the officials before the game to get the pass interference calls right. Can we just get some consistency? There have been a, another uh, a playoffs with more blown calls, and I hope that stuff doesn't to, rear its ugly uh, head because that, that, that's the I agree, biggest thing the that's going to stand in the way true of a great game, I think, is um, just, you know, just not calling that consistently for four quarters. You know, he hadn't been thrown to eight different people. There's always been the, a guy by the name of Gronkowski on the other end of a lot of those passes. But there hasn't, though, Steve. That's, I mean, the Patriots, the thing about the Patriots is they've been plug and play for his whole career. Yeah. People yep. come, people go. Man, there's always somebody in that system. Yep. Brady makes everybody on that team better. Yeah. If Gronkowski doesn't come back, Brady's still going to the Super Bowl. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I don't think Gronkowski was that big of an X factor for Tampa. I think it's nice to have. I think so. The big thing with Gronkowski is he came out of retirement to to do this. So he came back to try and to do this with with Tom. But if you look at his season performance, he did have some good games, but overall, not the Gronkowski of the New England years. Uh, so you know, but you got to go back to I. Probably 2007, 2008, the last time Tom Brady had this kind of talent at wide receiver with Randy Moss. And, you know, that team won, you know, should have gone undefeated, but lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. Uh, but, you know, Mike Evans, he's from Galveston. So, you know, I, I've kind of followed him for many years, but he is a, an incredible receiver. Chris Godwin is, is a great receiver. Antonio Brown just came back out of nowhere and he's filled in okay. So I don't think Tom Brady has ever, maybe ever, had this kind of talent at wide receiver as a whole. And then on the, from the running game, he, I mean, think about when was the last time you were like, yeah, New England has the best running back in, in, in the NFL? Probably never in Tom Brady's history. And now he's got a former first-round pick in Leonard Fournette. Ronald Jones is nothing to scoff at either. So he's got 
better weapons than he's ever had. And I think the reason why it works is because Tom Brady's physical skills maybe have deteriorated, but they've overcome a lot of that with the talent they've surrounded him with and also shoring him up with that stellar defense as Shannon mentioned. And one thing I want to mention um, is something to watch or kind of, you know, a little pay attention to for this game is the last time Tampa Bay was in the Super Bowl was 2002, I believe. And they played the Raiders and John Gruden was the head coach there in Tampa. So it was very well known that we're, we're looking at a very similar matchup. Uh, Oakland came in with this high powered offense could almost score it well in the AFC just Rich Gannon threw it all over. They had a ton of talent on, on that team offensively, could not be stopped. And they were facing Tampa Bay, who had a very anemic type of offense, not very sexy at all, very low scoring, very game manager with Brad Johnson at quarterback. And, and But they had that incredible Tampa defense, and it was just a lockdown defense. So it was really a best offense versus a best defense. Now, I can't speak to the ranking of Tampa Bay's defense this year, but I do know that it's very, very good. So we're looking at a possibly a similar narrative 20 years later with the same uh, with, with Tampa Bay going against a, a high-powered offense, and we'll see if it kind of turns out the same. All right, and then uh, to close out the football, who's going to win? Predictions. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say... Uh, Age, age over beauty on this, <laughs> even though even though Brady's a beautiful man with a perfect life, and that's why we all hate him. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say they 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 squeak one out. It's I don't think it's gonna be a high scoring game. 23 20 bucks. Okay, let me see here. Uh I, I need to look. Um the over under uh the 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 over under line is I believe 56 and a half. So I feel like it's going to go under. I'm kind of with Shannon here, but I'm going to go 28-24 Kansas City. Oh, nice. Yeah. We got it. We heard it here first. So I'll we'll have to definitely uh, follow up after, see exactly who came out on top with that. So let's switch gears in a little bit. Let's go to uh, Houston Rockets basketball. Some more prima donnas that can't stand to be around Houston. Oh Lord! <laughs> yeah, so, not 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 sad to see Harden go. No, that guy will never win a championship if he's the man. Yeah, he can't be. He he can't. It, I mean, obviously, he proved it here. He cannot be the guy surrounded by guys and and go all the way. Now, you can make an argument that the Chris Paul injury back in 2018 or 17 or whatever cost them that and they they obviously were the, the refs manipulated something there because man, I, I watched that game and it was just insane the amount of calls that were that were made. Uh but the, you know, not the point, but the point is is James Harden obviously doesn't have it. He obviously doesn't have it to be a a I can put this team on my back and carry you. Uh, he could get you to the Western Conference Finals. He could get you deep in the playoffs. He could win the scoring titles. He could you know, win an MVP. And that's all great and grand. But when it comes down to it, I, you always want to hang another banner up in those rafters. And he, he couldn't bring it home. And now, for some reason, after you know the ownership, Tillman Fertitta, and, and they gave him every opportunity Everybody he wanted, he br they brought in for him. 
They took on a bunch of money, traded away future draft picks, did everything possible to appease him and put talent around him that he wanted. They brought in his boy, Russell, Russell Westbrook to maybe that could click and, and they could do something. And that didn't work out. Obviously the pandemic and, and things like that, you know, could have messed all that up. But the point being is it just wasn't meant to be. And, and I, I, you know, to, to say, you know, when Shannon opened up the show with dumpster fire, Houston, literally two thirds of our major sports franchises are a complete or were a complete uh, dumpster fire. And I just, you know, I didn't expect this kind of behavior out of James Harden. You know, he showed his true colors. He always seemed like a low-key guy and never seemed to be like that prima donna. But, hey, when times are tough, your true colors come out. And he obviously wasn't getting his way. And that's what happened. And and uh, I am i can't say I was uh, uh, I was, was sorry to see him go. I, I, it was affecting the team. And, and honestly, if you're, that's the kind of effort you're going to give, I don't want you on my team. And I've watched, you know, the past week or, you know, or so games. And, you know, I think we're on a four game winning streak, had a big comeback against Portland. And I really like this squad that we have. And Steven Silas, you know, first year coach, let's see what you got, you know, and, and let's run your system and, and let's see what these players, what you got. Christian Wood has been great. Um, definitely better than I think a lot of people anticipated. You know, John Wall's healthy. Boogie Cousins is healthy. These guys have talent. And in the right system and, and playing hard and let's play some defense for once, it could really turn the tide and we could be, we, we're seeing a completely different team and I, I'm here for it. Couldn't agree more. James Harden is not, I mean, he always strikes me as a guy that we'd rather live the baller lifestyle than actually win a championship. Um, I mean, he likes going to strip clubs and smoking weed. That's James Harden. Um, and now he has a job that allows him to do that as much as he wants. Um, in a state where it's legal. Yeah. And he's not, He's not a leader. He's never been a leader. Doesn't want to be a leader. He just wants people to to, uh, to to give him the ball and get out of the way. And his style of play is awful. The reason why I say he's never going to win a championship, besides the fact that he's not a leader, which is one of the key indicators, is he doesn't dominate players. He dominates the game. And what I mean to say is he's found a way to dominate the rules. If you watch, I mean, the Rockets with James Harden has been almost unwatchable every single game. All Harden does for 50% of the game, Harden has the ball and runs into a player in the paint and throws up the ball. Okay, well, you're going to the line because that's a foul. So Harden just goes, okay, well, I'm going to get I'm going to get my points that way. It's so hard to watch. If you watch other players who are champions, they dominate the competition. They don't try to dominate the rules. They dominate the other players. And that's something that James Harden just hasn't shown an ability to do. Yeah, to follow up on what Wes and uh, also I'm hearing from you, Shannon, when you say he's good, James will get you to the Western Conference. Are you saying he doesn't have talent to take you all the way? Or you're saying at the end of the day, it's a team effort to win a championship and he's he's too siloed to himself? It, yes. It, it's kind of the Kobe Bryant type of, of thing. And when you put, you know, not to take anything away from, from Kobe Bryant, he's obviously a legend, but, you know, and that later in career, Kobe Bryant, where he was taking, gosh, you know, 40, 30 shots a game and terrible shooting percentage. I mean, he was trying to do it all himself. And I think had James Harden stayed on this team, we'd be looking at a similar situation where it's kind of like you live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, I, I think he has talent. Yes. But to speak to Shannon's point, which I totally agree with, 
he seemed to be more of, I need to game the system. And sometimes talent is better than the system. And so when you run into teams like Golden State, who just have that incredible talent and a great system to play off of, it's unstoppable. Then you have to have more than one guy. And but James Harden, I I think you're right, Shannon. He he just he didn't really want to be the guy. He wanted to he wanted the adoration and the money and the image and stuff. And now that that was definitely going to go down the drain a little bit here in Houston. He wanted out because look what he did. He just kicked you know we told him to kick rocks and we traded him to uh, to Brooklyn where he can go play with Durant and and Kyrie. And so he doesn't have to be the guy there, but you know, so maybe that's what he wanted. And he's got the image of playing in Brooklyn. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, a sexy franchise to watch and, you know, they're going to get all the pub on ESPN. And if you notice, like I don't watch a lot of ESPN anymore, but the narrative around James Harden for many years was exactly what Shannon said. It's terrible for the game. He's not that great. He's overrated. All he does is get fouled. And I could see total merits in that. But as a Houston fan, you know, you don't really want to come to complete grips with that. You just kind of want to take what you can get. But the the narrative flipped instantly when he ended up in Brooklyn. They're praising him. You know, he had that triple-double the first game out. And and they were just like, yep, this is James Harden. He has that ability to take over games. And But the last, what, seven years, eight years that Harden was here, it was always something negative. No one could really get behind. Very few of what they say pundits or analysts from the NBA, which in my opinion, we could probably all do a better job than most of them. They did not want to give James Harden any credit and, and, and say that, you know, okay, you got to give him some credit. They wouldn't do it. But now that he's not in Houston anymore and he's on a bigger, uh, you know, uh, mar- in, a, in a bigger market, a market that's a lot more in the public eye, it seems that the narrative has changed on him. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe one of the reasons is when you're a Houston fan, you got to watch all those games all the time. And it's hard to get – it's 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 it's, it's – <laughs> I mean, not I – mean, all the, the media – I mean, Houston's still – for a big town, it's a small market feel for, for yeah. sports, for sure. And, you know, they'll watch highlights. And highlights of Harden always look great. Highlight reels are wonderful. But watching these games for 48 minutes of this nonsense, crashing into people and throwing your arms up, for 82 games a season for years on end, it just, you know, if you do that, it's hard to, it's hard to go. Yeah, this guy is great. I mean, he's good, but it's not that next level. You know I mean? It just isn't. And um, if he wins in Brooklyn, it'll be because of his being a role player. I mean, he was so successful in OKC because he was a six man. He came off the bench and, uh, when he got a shot to be the man, it just didn't, it just didn't go anywhere. You know, and maybe he can't be the man. I mean, if you want to be the man, you got to be a leader. You have to be mature. You have to be an adult in the room. You got to take command of that team and you got to guide it. And all the great players do that. All of them, Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, Bird, Magic. I mean, just goes on and on and on. You know, you. I mean, look at all of the egos that are in Golden State. But Steph Curry is the leader, the leader of that team, and there is no question. Yeah, he definitely grabs the reins. Yeah, yeah. And so it, to, you got to have good leadership, and, and good leadership builds good culture. Good culture builds good teamwork. Culture will trump 
strategy 100% of the time. Culture will always win. Yeah, I also heard uh, Wes say that uh, the Rockets are doing good with a first-time coach. Oh, there's uh, yeah, I'm super intrigued to see how this goes without Harden there. I mean, they, you know, we have a whole lot of new faces in John Wall. You know, I mean, that guy's a star. Yep, first-round pick formerly. Yeah. For, I think a number one overall. So, you know, th- and that's the thing I think they they were going for is, uh, you know, what I used to say, you know, not to change gears, but the Astros, when they were kind of in their rebuild early on, 2012, 2013, they would buy guys that had talent that were drafted very high, highly rated, what they call prospect pedigree in baseball. And they, I guess you could call it that too in, in the NBA but that just hadn't panned out in their locations. So they bought on the talent and they said, well, maybe a change of scenery will do something for you. And, and that seems to be the MO of uh, Raphael Stone and Steven Silas in their first year in both of those positions is John Wall, uh, number one, former number one overall pick, just couldn't stay healthy in Washington, in uh, D.C. Boogie Cousins has bounced around, but a former first round draft pick. So I think they're kind of doing a similar situation. And, and Boogie Cousins has said, I don't care about Harden. I wanted to play with John Wall. And that's why I'm here. And they're playing great. They're playing well together. So it, it is interesting. And, and Steven Silas used to be in Golden State. He was an assistant there. And so maybe he brings some of that knowledge that you know, from that incredible run they had and implements his own, his own touch on it here with the right pieces. Now, the trade for Harden did yield a lot of assets in the draft and, and a few other you know interesting pieces. So we'll see what they do moving forward. But I have to say, it, it's refreshing as somebody who is hot and cold with the Rockets most of the time. I don't follow them religiously, but I do monitor them. And it's nice to see a, a new style, a new kind of MO for this team, because I think to speak to Shannon's points, it's we just got tired of that. The the fouling, just constant stop, 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 stop. Seemed like the games took forever. And yeah, it's always nice to win. But Harden was so detrimental to what kind of culture that Steven Silas was going to bring. And it was unfair to him as well because it's his first head coaching gig. He's coming to a new situation and he's coming into this crap. Like that's so unfair to him and any person with a a logical mind or a decent human being that wants to win would be accepting of that and say, Hey, what can I do to help you implement your system? I want to play, I want to do my job with, with you at the helm, you know, and Harden obviously didn't do that. So like I said, in the beginning of this kind of segment, Harden really showed his true colors here. And in that case later, yeah, I, I have I have been this uh, excited may not be the word, but an, anticipatory mm-hmm. uh, in quite a long time when it comes with the Rockets. Is it the love you blue uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> I think those are hideous, honestly. But yeah, uh, I, I think everybody's doing it. I think everybody's doing it. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's all marketing. Let's get ten different jersey versions out there so we can <laughs> sell them all. Uh, Correct. Yeah. yeah, it's nothing but a marketing ploy. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's uh, round third base here on this show and uh, move it over to the Houston Astros. Ew. We uh, we got some changes. We uh, we have lost Springer. He's moved on to other things. What else is going on with them? And what kind of team are we going to have uh, when the boys of summer crank up? You know, I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be challenging. 
Um, we 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 have we got uh, we kept Brantley. Um, Carlos Correa has come out and said, "Hey, he wants to be a long-term Astro." Um, we still have a lot of the offensive. Pe- I mean, yeah, we lost George Springer, but the real the real issue is is essentially a decimated pitching staff. So we we've got to get some pitchers. We got to get some pitchers. So losing Garrett Cole and and uh, um, Verlander. There you go. Thank you. So that guy's not going to play for the Astros again. Oh really? Where is he yeah. going? No, no, I mean he's, he's hurt. hurt. He's, yeah, I mean he's 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 going to be out all next year with an injury. And when Granky might be your number one, or Kitty Valdez. We, I mean we've got some people in there. Uh, that's going to be our biggest struggle. George Springer was one bat. Was he that awesome? What is one hundred twenty million, one hundred thirty million with the with the Jays? One fifty. One fifty. So you know that's big time money, man. You can't you can't say no to that. That's life-changing, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that baseball players are so – the amount of money that they make, I mean, for $150 million bucks, you think you'd be getting somebody that hits 330 career with, like, uh, 40 homers a year, and that's just not the case with Springer. So, I mean, he's a two – what, 274 lifetime hit or something like that. He's got a good pop in his bat, obviously. He's a five-tool player because he's great in the outfield too, but – I think we can. I mean, I think Brantley's our best best hitter. I mean, he is a professional hitter, and I'm really glad we kept him. I'm not saying that I would rather have seen him go than Springer or vice versa. It's just that you know we lost Springer. I'm glad we didn't lose Brantley as well because that that was that was certainly something that that could have happened. And so I feel okay about our offense. I do. I just I, I think we're going to have to. Do some. Uh, we're gonna have to get lucky when it comes to pitching, and quite frankly, this whole uh, scapegoating the Astros for uh, cheating. You know, baseball is a long and storied, hallowed tradition of cheating in baseball. And who was it? With Tony Kornheiser once said, uh, "If you took all the bones and cheats out of the Hall of Fame, you could put it in a broom closet." I mean, it's getting over that cheating scandal is going to still be the biggest thing that's going to happen this year. I mean, it just is a black cloud that hangs over this team. And it really affects – you can see it on their faces last year. Didn't uh, A.J. sue the league? Is he trying to get back in? Uh, Luno. Luno's trying to sue, I believe, um, to get back in. A.J.'s already landed in in another city. He's already got another job in Detroit. Uh, So, look, uh, it's – so the best way I can – I have a lot of things that Shannon said that I could touch on. but the best way I can put it is that we've, we've got this, this kind of run of incredible talent with the Astros and all good things come to an end in baseball as in much many other sports, most others, this is a cyclical game. Football's a little different, but cyclical, you have the window of opportunity that you take advantage of to the, your competitive window. And we've had an awesome, huge window. So I cannot complain about anything that's happened, you know, the cheating, I could do a four hour podcast with you on this, Steve, we're not going to do that, (laughs) but we're going to brush that to the side and maybe talk about that another day, at least for me. Um, But so a couple of things with, with Brantley and Springer, if you were going to ask me who I would rather have had back, I would have rather had Michael Brantley. And the reason why I say that is, is I have some points that I've, been pointing out with George Springer over the last few years. 
Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from George Springer. He'll always be an Astro for life. There's, you know, thank you so much for everything he's done. But first of all, Springer is older already. You know, he is only about two years younger than me. So he's 31 and he came up late. He did not break in and full-time play until he was about 25, 26. That is older for baseball. They, yeah, 26 is the prime of your career, uh, statistically, uh, on average, your best years are between 26 and 28. So we've already passed the, what the statistical prime is of, of George Springer. So you've got a 31 year old free agent who's getting paid $25 million a year. He's losing about 50% of that in taxes, by the way, in Canada. And so you're, you're essentially forking over $150 million and you're going to be paying that guy 25 million a year in his mid to late thirties. So that's where, that's like a base thing I just want to mention. But what you also need to know is, is that George Springer has on average, on average missed a quarter of the season in his career on average. He is hurt almost every single year. He, and it's He's had very, you know, streak, not streaky, but uh, kind of one-off injuries where he's hit by a pitch and stuff that you can't control. But what I've noticed in his injury history, and I've done a lot of looking into this, is that he is hurt with his legs, quad strains, leg strains, ankles, things that linger. And as you get older, it's harder to stay healthy. And so he's coming into this point of his career. I'm so happy for him that he got paid. But I would much rather let some other team in a different position take that kind of risk. And, and, and hey, he could totally prove me wrong and play out of his mind for six years. I'm totally okay with that. But let another team take that kind of risk. And that's what the Astros, I think, ultimately decided was I, I knew about three years ago, as soon as he won World Series MVP, there was no way. There was no way because, as Shannon mentioned, when you talk about the Rockets and, and even the Texans, Houston is not a major market team. That is very, very true when it comes to baseball, where everything's guaranteed and the money you bring in matters and stuff like that. So we we just can't spend like the New Yorks, the LA's, the Chicago's in some some cases. So let another team take that kind of risk. For Michael Brantley, similar as far as injury history, he's older, but He's been healthy recently, and he has always been a very, very consistent hitter when he is healthy. You can protect him by putting him in the DH. He plays a very short left field at Minute Maid Park most of the time. So he is not that big of a liability in the outfield. So I also think that the experience that Michael Brantley brings could in his you know professional hitter, I totally agree, Shannon, very, very professional hitter. He's got the most beautiful swing. It's, it's like swing porn. And, but Kyle Tucker, Miles Straw, younger players that we have can really look to Michael Brantley these next two years and maybe learn from him. And my, uh, Kyle Tucker and Michael Brantley, I think, are very similar players as far as the offensive game goes. And they're very similar mindsets. They're very cold, calculating professional hitters. And I think that that matters a little bit more then forking over $25 million a year to, uh, you know, a player who may already be past the statistical prime, who in all, you know, in all seriousness may get hurt and miss a whole year. 
He's going to Toronto where they play on this turf that is known to tear up your knees and your legs. And so all these things kind of add up for me. So if you're going to ask me uh, today in this situation, I, I would have, I would have wanted Brantley back. Um, that doesn't take away anything that, that Springer has done. That's just how I see it. And in, in the research that I've done on these two players. Awesome. I definitely appreciate the insight and I definitely want to come back to have both of you on when we get closer to uh, the first pitch, but I think we're going to probably close it out in that regard. I do have a random question because I heard both of you say, and I know that uh, Shannon's got to leave in two minutes. Houston's not a marquee town. Uh, We got California moving to Austin. How long is it until Austin gets a uh, professional team of some sort and starts uh, getting a lot of glitz? They got one. They got one. MLS. They have soccer, yeah. Yep. The soccer team's going to do great there. Okay. After that, what about their second one? They're not going to get another major team, though. You don't think so? It would have to be a relocation. Yeah, it's hard, especially because the pandemic expansion seems to be on the back burner for quite a while. So it would be a, a move, but I could see them taking advantage of that San Antonio Austin corridor, and there's a lot of space there. Maybe building a stadium for football or baseball. But like Shannon said, I don't think it'll be expansion. I think it will be a relocation. Okay. We'll we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And we're going to go ahead and uh, close it out. Any other last thoughts? Go Rockets. Yeah, there you go. Go Rockets. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Wes. Thanks, uh, Shannon, for your uh, insights. And we are uh, faux show. Going to have you guys back on. And we'll be uh, monitoring those picks that you guys did for the Super Bowl. And we'll follow up with those and uh, have you guys on uh, real, real soon. So take care. Thank you so much. And uh, we will talk with you guys soon. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Thank you. All right. And there you have it. That's going to close out our Super Bowl Sunday 2021 slash Super Bowl 52 episode want to thank Shannon as well as Wes for their insights and their time. And uh, again, have a safe Super Bowl Sunday. Let's hope these commercials are great. Let's hope the game is great. And whoever wins, it's going to be historic. Take care and hear you soon.